I'd like to welcome all of you to worship again today, especially those of you who are joining us from the contemporary service or online. It's good for us to study the Word of God together as a church family. And today we continue our study of the book of Acts. If you're new to our church, all summer we've been studying Acts and what God did through the lives of the first Christians by the power of His Spirit to teach them to continue to live in the same way Jesus lived. And the first name for the Christians was the way. It wasn't known as a new religion, but a way of life, a group of people that were committed to learning in the Jesus way. And so if you're walking around our church and you see the posters of the way and learning to live on the way, that's what we've been focusing on all summer. And this morning we come to the end of the book of Acts, the last seven chapters, and we're focusing on Paul's missionary journeys from Jerusalem to Rome. And I brought a map of one of his journeys to share with you you, so you can see just how far he went around the ancient world spreading the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection and promise to anyone who would believe in him that they could have new life. He was pouring himself out for the sake of the gospel, for anyone who would believe in him to find that new life. And this is just a map of his second missionary journey, but he went on three. And at the end of Acts, he's in Rome, sharing the gospel with anyone who will listen and welcoming people into his home, announcing the kingdom of God and helping people to find Jesus. Paul was risking everything for Jesus. He was pouring himself out for the sake of the gospel. And I hope this morning, as we come to the end of the book of Acts, that we'll stop and pause and consider what we are giving our lives to and what new risks God might be asking us to take in our lives to make an impact for his kingdom. And so as we turn to the gospel this morning, I'd I'd love just to pray together. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your good news that the kingdom is at hand and we can turn to find new life through your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would stir us up this morning, that you would give us your vision for your church, that you would inspire us by your spirit to seek the risk that you're asking us to take and that we would live on your power and not our own. We ask, this, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was reading the end of the book of Acts the last couple weeks, it, it got me thinking about a game I used to play as a young boy. Do we have any Monopoly fans in here? Maybe? Anybody Monopoly fans? It's okay. You can raise your hand if you are. Monopoly is one of my favorite games as a kid. I, I brought the game just to show you guys in case you're not familiar with it. It's a a game for competitive families, and my family was very competitive. And growing up, I wanted to really just beat my sister every time we played. My sister is 15 months younger than I am, and when you're a little boy, you know that you're not really supposed to beat your parents. If you you do, that's great, but you always want to beat your siblings. Like, that's what the game is all about. And so I learned this lesson in Monopoly really fast that the way to win was to accumulate as many properties as I could, as fast as I could, and then begin putting up hotels, and you know, just that was the way to dominate the board. That was the way to beat my sister, and so we would have these epic battles where we were trying to accumulate to dominate in Monopoly, and so maybe there's a couple lessons from Monopoly that I've had to unlearn as I've been, a fo- been growing as a follower of Christ, because accumulate to dominate is not actually very representative of the way of, of Jesus Christ, but I did learn one lesson from Monopoly that has really helped me on a spiritual level. And as I was reading the end of Acts, it made me think about it in a a strange way. And the lesson is this, that when the game is over, 
it all goes back in the box. No matter how many properties I accumulated, no matter how many hotels I had built up, no matter how big was the stack of money that I could put in my sister's face to show her that I won, it all went back in the box at the end of the game. And I think this is a really important lesson for us to pause and reflect on on a spiritual level because life is temporary. When all is said and done, everything goes back in the box. No matter how much we accumulate, no matter how much we accomplish, no matter how much success or failure we experience in this life, in the end, it all goes back in the box. And the Bible is really plain and clear about the temporary nature of human life. In 1 Peter, the apostle tells us this, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass, grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Some of the other apostles say things like this, that the world and its desires pass away. And in the Psalms, it says that man is but a breath. And sometimes it's good for us to pause and just remember how temporary we are against the backdrop of eternity. And the youth know I love to draw on a whiteboard pretty much every time I teach. So I thought I'd bring the whiteboard to you guys today and make a little simple illustration, which is if you think about our lives on the scope of eternity, that time has been going on before the world was even created in the very being of the Trinity, the very being of God, and then the world was created and eternity exists forever and ever and ever. We can't even fathom what that's like, but this is a line represent, re representing eternity. And where are we on this line in the scope of eternity? This represents our life. A dot, a breath, you and me, against the backdrop of our great God, the Alpha and the Omega. Life is so temporary and life is so fragile. And while Jesus walked the earth, he awakened us to this eternal reality that we are not in control of who or where we were born or where we go and when we go. The only thing that we have some choice in is how we spend these breaths on this earth while we have them. So when Jesus walked the earth, he warned us that we could spend our whole lives trying to gain the world but losing our soul. And he warned us against that. He wanted to save us from that. In Matthew chapter 6, he taught his first disciples to invest in the things that are eternal, not temporary. He says this in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. According to Jesus, we can invest our lives in things that are temporary and things that are eternal, and he calls us to take stock of our heart, to look at where our treasure is. And the reality of our mortality is a pretty uncomfortable idea. I know as a teenager, I thought I was invincible, and as I've grown up, I don't like to think about this very often because the older I get, the more I realize how fragile and temporary life is. I remember the first time that I went to a funeral of a guy I went to high school with. And while I was at the funeral, we celebrated his life. He was 
um, part of the special forces and lost his life in Afghanistan fighting for the freedom of our country. His name was Jesse Clowers. And while I was at the funeral, it just struck me deep in my soul. What am I giving my life to? And I was inspired by his example. And it caused me to ask deep questions and wrestle with what God wanted for my life because I was, a time, I was at a time in my life then where I was wondering what direction does God want me to go? Have you ever been there where you just want to do what God wants you to do, but you're not sure what exactly it is that he wants you to do? I think that's a pretty normal human experience. And I think all of us have to wrestle with that question before God. God, how do you want me to invest the breath that you've given me on this earth? How do you want me to invest the talents and the gifts and the resources that you've put under my command? How can I use those things for the kingdom that's eternal rather than the, thing, the kingdom that's temporary? And that's a question that we all have to wrestle with before God, no matter what season of life that we're in. Some of us in our community are looking back at our life and wondering what our legacy will be and wondering how God wants, to, wants us to give back in this season of life. And some of us are, have our whole lives ahead of us and we're wondering what direction does God want me to go? Only God can lead you in that direction. But I'm very thankful for the example of the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul shows us what a life looks like that is fully invested in the kingdom of God. As I read the last couple, the, the last seven chapters of Acts over the last couple weeks, I was really challenged and inspired by Paul's example. I hope that all of you will go home and read the last seven chapters of Acts because they're riveting. Paul is continually risking his life for the sake of the gospel. He's living the lesson of the box all in for Jesus and his kingdom. When he begins to go to Jerusalem to share about the good news of Jesus Christ, his friends actually try to stop him from going. And the journey begins in Acts chapter 21 when his friends come to him and they try to stop him to go, but Paul has this burden on his heart, this passion in his soul that God has called him to share the good news of Jesus, starting with his own people and then to the ends of the earth. And here's what his friends tell him in Acts 21. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. And as much appreciation and love as Paul had for his brothers and sisters in Christ that we're trying to stop him from going. He had this burden in his soul. In the passage we read in Romans chapter 9 and here in the traditional service, he confesses that he has such a burden for people to know the good news of Jesus that he was willing to be cut off for his own salvation, for others to come to know the good news of Christ. It was that level of passion in his soul. And that passion led him to stand before some of the most powerful men at his time. This, this morning we read a long passage about Paul being on trial before Festus and King Agrippa, some of the most powerful men in the ancient Roman Empire. And King Agrippa was the great-grandson of Herod the Great, not a man known for his grace and mercy, not a family known for being merciful. This man could have taken Paul's life if he didn't like what he had to say. But Paul just shared the story 
of what God had done in his life through Jesus Christ. And he shared how he used to be a leader of the Jewish people, committed to keeping the Jews pure before God, and that he was persecuting the early Christian movement, the way of Jesus, because he thought they were breaking the first commandment to blaspheme God, the creator of the universe. But then Jesus came to him and changed his life and sent him in a new direction to share that good news that Jesus was actually the Messiah of both Jew and Gentiles. He was the king of the universe and that anyone who would put their faith in Jesus Christ could move from darkness to light, could transfer kingdoms and enter into a kingdom that would, it would not be shaken in this world and would last for eternity. And he was giving his life for people to know that they could be forgiven of the worst sins that they committed in their life, the worst regrets that they had, and that they could find a new hope and a new life in Jesus Christ. And so when Agrippa heard this, he thought Paul was crazy. But Paul knew his story. He just shared what God had done in his life. And Agrippa walked away from Paul that day, realizing that this was just a minor religious controversy, that this would eventually pass away. And he went back to his own kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, built it on accumulate to dominate. He knew where his faith was, but Paul was building a different kind of kingdom, the kingdom that God was building, a kingdom that couldn't be taken away from him, even if Agrippa took his life. Paul was focused on the eternal, not the temporary. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul lets us into his heart and motivation for his life. And this is a profound passage of scripture that I want to read you today. It lets us know the passion of the founder of the first churches. Paul says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul knew where his treasure lay. He knew that his prize was Jesus Christ. And he's basically saying, I'm giving everything to know more and more and more of Jesus, to know more of his power, to know more of his grace to change the lives of people who are just like me, who are against Jesus, but now they can find hope and love and grace in Jesus Christ. He was risking it all for a kingdom that was not built with bricks and mortar like Agrippa, but a kingdom that was being built through the lives of people who were changed by the Spirit of God. And he considered everything else garbage on the scope of eternity. 
to the surpassing greatness of knowing the power of Christ to change his life and anyone else who would surrender to him. And although King Agrippa's kingdom, the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time, is now in rubble as a tourist attraction that you can go visit in Rome, the kingdom of God keeps changing the lives of more and more people to this day. It's a kingdom that will not be shaken throughout eternity when Christ returns to bring those who believe in him to be with him forever. This is a perspective that I really need in my life. I don't know about you. I need to be reminded of the eternal perspective of the gospel. Because it's so easy for us to lose focus and to invest our heart and our mind and our life in things that just won't last. We live in a culture that bombards us with messages about what we need to find value and meaning and acceptance and purpose in our life. A culture that's great at helping us to build our own little kingdoms. Did any of you guys get those magazines in the mail from different advertising companies that you didn't even sign up for? Anybody get those? Yeah, I, I don't know how I get those, but I get a lot of them. And I'm a blessing to the Hugo Recycling Factories for putting those in there. But we are bombarded by these things. They did a study of how many advertising magazines come out in America every year? 40 billion. 40 billion. Did you know the most, the fastest growing business in America right now is the storage industry? We spend 12 billion dollars a year on storage in our country, on extra stuff that we don't have room for in our homes. That's more money than we spend on the music industry in our country. We are bombarded by messages of investing in temporary things to give us happiness. It's so easy for us to lose perspective and forget that almost half the world lives on less than $2 a day, that there are starving kids that don't have enough to eat, and we've got more than enough stuff to fill $12 billion worth of storage units. It's so easy for us to lose perspective. It's in our human nature to begin just focused on temporary concerns rather than eternal ones. I'm a father of three young, precious little girls, and anyone who's a parent or has been a parent or a grandparent knows that children tend to lose perspective when they don't get what they want. They are sweet and precious and beautiful when things are going well, but as soon as one of their sisters takes the toy that they want, it is chaos in the house. Just the other day at breakfast, one of my daughters said to me, Daddy, I don't even want to be in this family anymore because she didn't get the breakfast exactly the way she wanted. It's so easy for her to lose perspective. And in that moment, I just saw her with grace and we helped her through it because she didn't really mean that. And I just told her, I'm so glad you're, you're in our family. We're so glad that, that God has given you to us and we want to help you with this. And so we helped her through it and she regained perspective and gave us a big hug. It's really cute when little kids do that, well, most of the time, but it's not quite as cute when adults throw a temper tantrum. Anybody seen an adult throw a temper tantrum before when they don't get what they want? I won't make you raise your hand, but anybody ever been that adult? It's so easy for us to lose perspective when we don't get our own way and we don't get the things that we want. And when difficult things happen in our lives, when painful things happen in our lives, it's so easy for us to just get focused on a temporary perspective rather than an eternal one. And that's why I'm so thankful for the example of Paul. Paul is like a big hug to me, reminding me of the perspective 
that there is a God who loves me and wants me to be focused on the things of his kingdom, the things that will last forever. And so this morning, before we close, I brought a few of the passages of scripture that I believe Paul shares that can really help us just focus our hearts and our minds on an eternal perspective. And so what I'd like for you to do right now is something a little bit different in the sermon is just to read some passages of scripture and allow those to sink into your mind and hearts. You're welcome to follow along with me on the screen or to close your eyes and just listen to them and see what God is speaking to you about where you're finding your value. The first one comes from 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The next passage comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then Jesus, from him in John 15, he said this in one of his last prayers to the disciples, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last forever. And Paul was giving his own life so that people like you and me could know that purpose, that God could produce the fruit of his kingdom through our life. And this is the last passage that I wanted to read to you. And Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, For me to live is Christ." and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. 
I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. I wanted to let these words just sink into our mind and heart and read those over you because the one weapon that we have to combat all the messages in the world that bombard us with where to find meaning and hope and acceptance and value and belonging is the very words of God in Scripture. I'm so thankful for the perspective that Paul brings into my life because I know sometimes I just get anxious and burdened with things I can't control. And I need the perspective of the words of God to remind me of the eternal calling that Jesus wants me to have. I think one takeaway for all of us today is that we need perspective people in our life. I hope Paul, in the words of Scripture, are a perspective person for you when you're feeling burdened with the things that can so easily overwhelm us. But we need a community of people that we can share the things that are going on in our life. We can let in on our burdens and can pray for us to experience the promises of Scripture to be true in our hearts and lives because God has called each one of us to the joy of serving in his kingdom to bear fruit that will last forever, to live with an eternal perspective and make an eternal impact on this earth. But we need each other in order to pursue that calling from God. On our own, we tend to drift away and lose perspective. We tend to lose hope and give our hearts over to despair, but it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ where we find hope and perspective. And there's another thing that we need just besides perspective and friends to remind us and pray for us. We need God to stir this passion in our souls. The same passion and fire that Paul had to share in the good work of the kingdom of God is given to anyone who believes in the name of his son. To be a follower of Christ is to be a part of the mission of Christ. And while you might not be the apostle going around the ancient world, there is no other person that can be the father the spouse, the mother, the wife, the grandparent, the aunt, the uncle, the student, the child, the neighbor, the worker, that God has called you to be. God has placed the gifts and abilities inside of you that he wants to bear fruit for his kingdom. And the only way for us to bear that fruit is to surrender, to surrender our hearts to Christ, to find the joy that only he can bring. To close this morning, I wanted to share with you a story, uh, one of my favorite conversion stories. It's of a man named Blaise Pascal. He lived in the 17th century. He was a mathematician, a mathematician and a philosopher, brilliant man, a man who was given so much education, privilege, and wealth. And he was a thinker. He was in the church, but he had a lot of questions about Jesus. He wasn't sure if he could really believe in him, but he began to think about it logically, and he looked at that board and just thought logically about the scope of eternity, and he's famous for what's known as Pascal's Wager. And Pascal's Wager says, well, if Jesus is right and his promises are true, then that can go really well for me for eternity to believe in those things. But if I believe in Jesus, if I don't believe in Jesus and he's right, it could go really bad for me to etern for eternity to reject that gospel. Eternity is a really long time. So just on the basis of a cost-benefit analysis, he decided it was better to believe in Jesus than not believe in Jesus. But his heart didn't find joy that way. 
That was just an intellectual understanding. It was an eternal perspective without the fire of Jesus in his soul. But one night, that changed for him. And you can read about this in his journal. He shared about it with some of his closest friends and people who asked about the change in his life. But there was a remarkable change in Pascal's life. He called it the night of fire. And after this night, he began serving the servants in his household rather than expecting them to make his bed and do his chores. He was committed to humbling himself and and serving them with great joy. And people noticed a lightness rather than a heaviness of spirit about him. And when he died, they found a prayer that he had written that was embedded in his cloak right above his heart. And I brought an excerpt of what was written there to share with you. And this is what they found. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Not philosophers and scholars. Certainty, certainty. Heartfelt joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ. My God and your God. The world forgotten and everything except God. Greatness of the human soul. Joy, joy, joy. Tears of joy. This is life eternal that they might know thee, thy only true God in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, I've cut myself off from him, shunned him, denied him, crucified him. Let me never be cut off from him. He can only be kept by the ways taught in the gospel through sweet and total surrender. Total surrender to Jesus Christ. Everlasting joy in return for these days on earth. Pascal found the joy in the fire of his Lord, of the Lord in his soul. He didn't find it just by hearing about Jesus, but by surrendering to Jesus. And there's one thing that our world today needs today is people of every generation that are filled with the fire and joy that can only come from God himself in Jesus Christ filling our souls. That we would develop an eternal perspective, that we would do whatever it takes, like Pascal did, to remind ourselves that when the game is over, everything goes back in the box, and the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ is what is it worth investing our lives in. May the joy and the fire of his presence fill your hearts today. May he show you the new risks that he's calling you to take for his kingdom in this season of your life. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the good news of your kingdom. I thank you for your son Jesus and his promise that is unshakable in the midst of a world that is shaking. And God, this morning we bring our hearts to you, asking you to fill us with the joy that only you can, to renew us and refresh us, to fill us with the fire of your spirit, that more and more people in our families and our friends and our neighborhoods would come to know the joy of your good news, that you have come to save sinners that would surrender to you. We thank you for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.